you can see in your bulletin that we're talking about the responsibility of parents and the role of the church in bringing up children, in raising children. In our society, most children are being taught everything but the law of God. In fact, what children are being taught in the public system is anti-God. It's anti-God. From evolution to now teaching children that marriage is not between one man and one woman. It's anti-God. Children are being indoctrinated with teachings that are contrary to what God teaches in His Word. This begins at the elementary age, and it goes all the way through the college years. As the children in our society are being indoctrinated with these so-called truths that are anti-God. And so if if these public organizations are going to teach what is anti-God, the question then is, who is responsible to teach our children the truth? They're not going to learn it in the public sphere. Then who is responsible to teach our children the truth of God's Word? Well, the responsibility lands on the parents. It lands on the parents. And not only is it the parents' responsibility to teach their children God's Word, but it is the church's role to encourage parents to do this. You see, God has given children as p- to parents as a gift. In fact, Psalm 127 in verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. The word in Hebrew for gift can also be translated as heritage or in- inheritance. And it gives the-, the picture of something that is given to another person as a possession. That God gives parents, children, as a possession to be trusted with. As an inheritance, our children are our possession, which means they have been given to us by God as a gift. An inheritance. And along with this gift, God has given parents great responsibility as he has entrusted them with these children that he has placed into their care. One commentator says, Children are a gift from God, but a gift that requires care and development if the child is to grow up to be righteous and wise. And since parents have been entrusted with the amazing gift of a child, we ought to know what that responsibility is for them. What is their responsibility? And so what I want to do this morning is talk about raising children and what God says about this. We're going to break it down into two main categories. First, I want to talk about the parent's responsibility. We'll talk about the parent's responsibility. And then second, I want to talk about the church's role. We'll talk about the church's role in this. And so let's look first at the parent's responsibility. If you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is going to be our main text for us this morning. Now, as, as Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, this church is living in a culture that's sim- similar to ours, where unwanted children were slaughtered. They were slaughtered. Only it wasn't the women who were making the decision to do this, it was the father. After a child was born, the child was laid at the father's feet, and if he bent down to pick up that child, that meant he wanted to keep that child. But if he turned and walked away, that meant he didn't want that baby, and that baby could literally just be thrown out. And the fathers were so dominant in this culture at this time That it was the duty of the children not to provoke their fathers to anger. Children knew this. 
Do not provoke your fathers to anger or the punishment could be severe. And so as Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, he's writing something here that is countercultural. And he calls the church to live according to a different standard. A godly standard, a, a biblical standard. Notice what he says there in verse 4. He says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, in our English translation, we see this addressed to fathers, as if mothers maybe have a pass on this. This is only for fathers. But that word that's used there in the Greek is pateris, which is a masculine plural, and it can be used to refer to fathers only, fathers in a plural sense, but it can also be used to address parents, meaning both fathers and mothers. In fact, we see this in Hebrews 11.23 referring to Moses' parents. And so although it's translated as, as fathers in our English text here, the principles in this verse apply both to fathers and to mothers. This is to parents. So what does Paul tell fathers and mothers they are to do? First he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, as I said, in Paul's day, society said that children were not to provoke their fathers to anger. And if they did, they would be punished or they could even be put to death if they provoked their fathers to anger. And so for Paul to write here that fathers or parents are not to provoke their children to anger was confronting the whole social order of the day. And he tells these fathers or these parents, do not provoke your children to anger. This is the negative, the negative of parenting. Do not do this. Don't provoke your children to anger. Now to be clear, he's not saying that parents are to just let their children do whatever their sinful little hearts want to do because it might anger them. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that this should not be a pattern of parenting. This should not be a pattern of parenting. You should not intentionally, deliberately, or carelessly provoke your own children to anger. In fact, that word provoke there means to cause to become angry or to enrage. Do not enrage them. And this anger could be shown in children either through open public rebellion or by a secret shutting off or shutting down by a child. You'll see this response, both of these responses in children. Either they'll act out in public. You often see this in the grocery store, right? Open public rebellion. But some just shut off. They shut down. As they're driven to anger. Well, how does this happen? How do parents provoke their children to anger? Well, let me just give you three simple ways that children can be provoked to anger. Three ways. Number one, if you place too high of expectation on them. If parents place too high of expectation on their children, it can provoke them to anger. We typically see this in education or in sports. Parents will place a high expectation on the child's education and want to be at the top of the class, 4.0 or better. Or as other children experience, their parents want them to be the next Division I athlete or the next Super Bowl MVP. They'll have their child in every club sport, every gymnasium that's open, just because they want them to be the next MVP of whatever sport it is that they're playing. They place high expectations upon them, usually way too high for them to reach. 
And so when that child does not reach those expectations, what happens? They're provoked to anger. They become angry because they cannot reach the expectations that their parents have placed upon them. And they'll act out in anger. Number two, children are provoked to anger through neglect. Through neglect. You'll hear parents say this, I have more important things to do than to play with you right now. Or work is calling, I can't do it right now. Or I would love to, but the game's about to start and I just don't have the time. Sure, we can do this right after I check my Facebook page or whatever social media account it is that you use. You see, neglect is another way that parents provoke their children to anger. Their children want the attention of their parents, but the parents neglect them for things that they deem as more important than their own children not a surprise that the majority of mass school shooters come from broken homes, most of where there was no father in the home. They were neglected by their fathers. Their fathers neglected them, and they acted out in anger. Number three, a a third way that children can be provoked to anger is through overprotection. Through overprotection. This is what we call the helicopter parent. They hover over them all the time or they want to wrap them in bubble wrap wherever they go. They're overprotecting their children. They smother their children and don't ever let them out of their sight. They fence them in and what they're conveying to that child is that they don't trust them. They don't trust them. If they leave their sight. Parents that, that act out in this way, who are overprotecting their children, never give them independence. And therefore are not helping their children to obey Genesis 2.24, which says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Parents are supposed to train them up and help them to leave, especially with boys. Train them up so that they will leave and cleave to their wife. But overprotection stifles that and leads children to become angry with their parents. Overprotected children are never allowed to grow up. And they don't learn lessons on their own. They don't ever have a chance, an opportunity to learn lessons by their own mistakes because parents are overprotecting them. Instead, they're imprisoned by their parents, which grows into anger. These here are all ways that children are provoked by parents to anger. And what does Paul say here? In Ephesians chapter 4, do not provoke your children to anger. That is the negative. Do not. But then there's a positive that Paul gives here in in Ephesians 6, 4. A positive. Do this. But you must do this, parents. What does he say here? Notice again in verse 4. He says, but bring them up. Don't do this. Do not provoke your children to anger, but positive, you must do this. You must bring them up. The Greek word here means to bring up from childhood, to rear up or to nurture, to nurture them. It's the the picture here of providing food and nourishment for them, that parents are to provide physically for them, to nourish them. But what's wrapped up in this word here encompasses more than just physical nourishment. It's more than that. There's also emotional and spiritual nourishment that is wrapped up in this word here. In this time of nourishment, it begins in infancy and it goes all the way up to adulthood. 
It's nurturing a child and raising that child up to maturity. That is what parents are called to do. In fact, this word here, to bring them up or to to nurture them, is the same word that's used in Ephesians 5.29, referring to how a husband is to nourish and care for and provide for his wife. And a husband is to nourish his wife, both physically and spiritually. But how do parents do this? How do parents accomplish this bringing up? Well, notice there are are two spheres of influence in which this takes place. Notice what Paul says there. He says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two nouns that are given here. Discipline and instruction. So let's look at this first one, at the discipline. The discipline of the Lord. Now, usually when we read discipline, we usually think right away of corporal punishment, right? We read this, and that's the first thing that comes to our mind. Corporal punishment, because we think of discipline as punishment. But this word has has more than that. It includes the notion of discipline and punishment, but it really has the sense of instruction, that parents are to be instructing their children. In the Greek, there are similar words to this word for discipline that means tutor or educator. They are to be educators. And it's conveyed here in the, the total education of the child. It's aiming at the heart of that child so that they might be instructed to go the right way. That's the responsibility of the parents, to push them in the right direction, to instruct them to go in the right way. One commentator says of this word discipline, it moves from education to correction and finally embraces the concept of punishment. All of that is wrapped up in this word here. It's providing instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior and providing guidance for responsible living in our children. It's rearing and guiding a child toward maturity. But as I said, this word does also include corporal punishment. It does include corporal punishment. And in disciplining a child, we must obey God's word instead of what the culture is telling us to do, right? What does God's word tell us to do? Listen to Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It's the rod that will correct a child and drive the foolishness away from the heart of a child. God commands us and calls us as parents to use the rod. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. God commands us to spank our children. Culture will tell us no, that's wrong to do, but God tells us we must do this. If we love our children, we will spank them. We will use the rod. A parent who's instructing a child is giving them correction and is giving them discipline. And corporal punishment is necessary in training a child to go the way that he should go. It's what we're commanded to do. And this here, this discipline, is the activity of education, which we could also translate as training. And some of your translations even say it that way. It says training a child. This discipline is providing instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior and providing guidance for responsible living. Rearing and guiding that child toward maturity. So in bringing up children, we're to first bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. 
But second, notice what Paul says there in Ephesians 6.4, we're also to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Not only the discipline, but also the instruction. This word instruction here is very similar to the word discipline. In the Greek, it's a compound word made up of nous, which means mind, and tithemi, which means to place. And so it literally means to place in the mind. That, that instruction there means you are going to place these things in the mind of a child. And this specifically ref- refers to the verbal counsel that is given a child. And it includes exhortation and encouragement toward proper behavior. But this word also encompasses warnings. We're to give warnings to our children. It encompasses rebukes. And it's influencing the mind and pointing the mind in the right direction. That is the duty and responsibility of the parents and their children. One commentator in deciphering between these two words, discipline and instruction, says that discipline is the activity of education and instruction is the verbal aspect of education. And in this verbal education, the parent's responsibility is to teach their children the ways of the Lord by using God's Word. Because the culture's not going to use God's Word, right? I mean, think about it even in our public squares. What have they taken out? The Ten Commandments. They've taken them out of many of the public squares. So they're not going to teach God's Word. They're not going to teach our kids the law of God. So whose duty is that? It's the parent's duty. But what should a parent then teach their child as they're called to instruct their children? Well, let me give you ten principles that parents should teach their children. Ten principles here. These all come from the book of Proverbs. Solomon, the wisest man, is writing to his son, 22 times in Proverbs, he says, my son, my son, my son. He's writing to his son and he wants his son's attention because he wants to impart wisdom and instruction and truth to his son. So what principles does he give parents? Let me give you 10 of them. Number one, teach them to fear the Lord. Teach your children to fear the Lord. We read it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? We're to fear the Lord. That expression, fear of the Lord, occurs 14 times in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 1.7, Solomon says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. We must teach our children to fear the Lord. We must teach them to have a reverence for God. We've lost that in society. We've even lost it in the church. A lack of fear of God in our churches today. We must teach our children to have a reverence for God. It's it's an attitude of of honor and, and trust. And it's this kind of attitude that leads someone to esteem and to obey God. When we fear God, that will drive us to obey Him. We teach our children to respond rightly to God. To consider God worthy of all honor and all respect. He is the highest above all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the God of the universe. And we need to teach our children to fear Him above all. And in this fear, we need to help them understand who God is. Teach them who God is. Teach them the attributes of God. Teach them that God is a judge. That God is a wrathful judge. Teach them that God is also a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love. That He's supreme over all. He's the sovereign God. And we must submit to Him and His standards. Because the reality is, ultimately, God will judge them one day. God will judge them one day. 
A.W. Pink says, in a Christian home, the supreme aim should be household piety, the honoring of God at all times. That should be our homes. We need to teach our children to fear God above all. To honor Him and to submit to Him in every aspect of their life. Number two, we're to teach our children to obey their parents. Teach children to obey their parents. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Listen both to your father and to your mother. Obey. We probably all had our children memorize Ephesians 6.1, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. We sing that on Wednesday nights with the children and they all scream out, for this is right. As we sing it with them. They need to be taught obedience. They need to be taught to obey their parents in the Lord. And parents have the responsibility of teaching their children obedience. You see, one of the symptoms of a failing society is disobedient children. It's disobedient children. We see this in Romans chapter 1. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. And what was the result then? Disobedient children. Paul even addresses this in 2 Timothy 3. Telling Timothy that in the, the latter days there will be disobedient children. Disobedient children is, is a symptom of a failing society. And it's the parents' responsibility to teach our children obedience. They must learn to obey. And listen, as parents, we want what is right for our children, right? We, we want what's best for our children. But a child doesn't know what is best for them. And so it's the responsibility of the parents to teach them obedience. To love them. To care for them. To direct them and guide them. And that means that a child needs to learn obedience. John MacArthur says a disobedient child makes not only a spiritual disaster, but very often a criminal adult. We don't want to raise spiritual disasters or criminal adults. We want to raise children who are faithful and live righteous lives. And it starts by teaching them obedience. We must teach our children obedience. Number three, teach them to guard their heart. Teach them to guard their heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Children today are flooded with all kinds of influences. Advertisements, television shows, movies, music, and all kinds of other things. Social media that comes at them. But the responsibility of parents is to help them guard themselves against the evil that comes at them. Because evil will continuously be coming at them. We're to help them to guard their hearts. We're to help our children guard their hearts and their minds. Now, this doesn't mean that we just take them and lock them up in a box and never let them out, although sometimes we wish we could do that, right? <laughs> to guard and protect them. We don't do that. That would provoke them to anger. <laughs> but we need to teach them how to think biblically. We need to teach our children how to think biblically. We need to teach them to think pure thoughts. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about these things. So we need to teach our children how to think. Train them to be wise and discerning. And teach them to guard their hearts. They must guard their hearts. Number four, would it teach them to be content? Teach them to be content. Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. 
When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. It's interesting to see a child's perspective on money, right? You play some of those games with them and you ask them about if they had $100 or $1,000 or a million dollars. And you see a child's perspective on money. And oftentimes they want what? More of it, right? Well, if I had a hundred, well, if I had a thousand, but I would love to have a million. No different than a lot of adults who didn't learn contentment from their own parents today. But Solomon, who is a very wealthy, rich man, tells us that we need to be content and not toil after something that is going to fly away. Wealth, riches, It's fleeting. It'll rust. It'll fly away. We need to teach our children to be content. Teach them how to use money and how to be content with it. Because discontentment leads to all kinds of problems. One commentary says, Hard work to provide the necessities of life is a virtue. Exhausting yourself to chase riches is foolishness. When you harness all of your energies in the race for materialism, you sacrifice other, more important goals. We need to teach our children to be content and not to chase after riches. Number five, we need to teach them to work hard. We need to teach our children hard work. Proverbs 6, 9 says, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. This here is a scary reality in our day. On the World Health Organization's website, there is a disorder called gaming disorder. Gaming disorder, you can look it up. It's a disorder that's given to people who are addicted to video games. Gaming disorder. One study shows that 60% of Americans play video games, listen to this, every day. Every day. Another study shows that children and teenagers play an average of 20 hours of video games a week. And while they sit around in front of a TV screen and play video games all day, what are they not doing? They're not helping mom and dad around the house. They're not learning how to do physical labor and work hard. They're not learning how to do chores around the house and learning how to work hard. We need to teach our kids to work hard. And as we teach them this hard work, we must also teach them that they are to do it all for what? For the glory of God. That we do all things for the glory of God. Number six, teach them to speak the truth. Teach them to speak the truth. Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Listen, speaking lies has been around since the Garden of Eden, right? Satan, the father of lies, told a bold lie to Eve, and she believed it. And ever since that day, this has been a common reality in all of humanity. All of us, all of us here this morning have all told lies. We need to teach our children to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In fact, Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God hates a lying tongue. He hates lying. And our children need to know this. We must teach this to our children. They need to know that God is a God of truth and that God loves the truth. 
and let them know that if there is something that they should be bad at, be a bad liar. Tell them that. Teach them that. I would love for you to be bad at something. Be a bad liar. We need to teach our kids to be truth tellers. Always speaking the truth. And praise them and tell them how wonderful it is when they do tell the truth. Encourage them in any circumstance to be open and straightforward and to tell the truth no matter what the circumstances are. And no matter what the consequences are. Teach them to always speak the truth. Number seven, teach them to choose wise friends. Teach them to choose wise friends. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You see, the influence of friends is powerful. It's powerful. How many situations have people gotten into because they were hanging out with bad friends? My mother would always tell me, choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. The person who walks with the wise will become wise. But the person who associates with the fools will become like them and share in the trouble that they get into. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. All of the godly principles that you teach your children can begin to be undermined by the peer pressure of bad friends. So we need to teach them the importance of choosing wise friends. Choose wise friends. Number eight, teach them to practice self-control. Teach them to practice self-control. In Proverbs 7, Solomon teaches his son to practice self-control and stay away from the seductive woman and the temptations that go with it. In fact, in Proverbs 7.24, he says this, Now therefore, my son, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. What is Solomon doing there? He's teaching his son to practice self-control. Don't go in her way. In his book, Hints on Child Training, H.C. Trumbull, a man who was dedicated to evangelizing children, he said this, A parent ought to help his child to refrain from laughing when he ought not laugh, from crying when he ought not cry, from speaking when he ought not speak, from eating when he ought not eat, even though the food be immediately before him, from running about when it is better for him to remain quiet, and to be ready to say and to do just that which is best for him to say and do at the time when it needs to be said and done. Self-control in all these things is possible to a child. Listen, parents. Teach your children self-control. Teach them self-control and you will save them from many disasters. Number nine, teach them to enjoy marriage. Teach them to enjoy marriage. Marriage is under attack in our day, right? It is under attack. But our kids need to know not only what marriage is, but also how God has designed it to be enjoyed between a man and a woman. That's what marriage is. Between one man and one woman. Solomon said in Proverbs 5.18, he says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Solomon also wrote another book, Song of Solomon, that tells of the enjoyment of the marital relationship. We need to teach our children to save themselves for their spouse and for their spouse alone. We need to teach them that physical intimacy is between a husband and a wife only in marriage. 
We need to teach them that marriage is a joy and not a burden. Society will tell us that marriage is a burden. Who wants to be married? Why should people be married? We need to encourage them to be married because marriage is a joy. It's a joy. And we need to model that for them. Parents, we need to model for them a God-centered marriage. And what Ephesians 5 says about a husband and a wife. Teach them the joys of biblical marriage and model a God-centered marriage for them as we teach them to enjoy marriage. And finally, number 10, we need to teach them to love others. Teach them to love others. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. You see, children are naturally bent on loving who? Themselves, right? They're naturally bent on that. Their first word is usually mine. No one teaches that to them. <laughs> they learn that. They, they know that. It's mine. And when you take something from them, what do they do? They cry. Why? Because it's mine. Because they love self. Children don't have to be taught how to be selfish. That comes naturally to them. But they do have to be taught to love others. Because that doesn't come naturally. We know the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We need to teach our kids to be others-focused and not me-focused. We need to teach them and model for them how they ought to treat others and how they ought to love others. We need to teach them as the second of the two greatest commandments says, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so those are ten principles that parents can teach their children as they're commanded to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now let's look back at Ephesians 6, verse 4, and notice finally that Paul says there, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction, and notice what he says there, of the Lord. Of the Lord. He's not saying that parents are to give instruction about the Lord, although we are to teach them about the Lord. But what he's saying here is that the discipline and instruction come from the Lord. They're prescribed by the Lord. What Paul is saying here is that this is not some opinion of parents on how they think that they should raise their own children. But it's the parents' responsibility to raise their children according to God's mandates, according to God's Word. And therefore, parents, we must know what God's Word says, right? And of course, we know that as we do this, we must rely upon the Holy Spirit to give us understanding in order to discipline and instruct them in the right way. But all that we do, all that we teach our children, it must come from God's Word. Not from the culture, not from the greatest parenting book that's out there. I'm sure there's a number one seller on the list right now. No, we teach them what God's Word says about parenting. We teach them what God's Word says about what they are to do as children. And we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And listen, parents, as you do this, you must, listen to this, aim at their heart. Aim at their heart. That's the goal. That's what we're after. We're after the heart of our children. You don't just want behavior modification and for them to look good on the outside. But you must aim at their heart so that they will obey God's word from the heart. That's the goal. That's the aim of parenting.
And that's the responsibility that parents have in raising their children. Let's look quickly at our second point. Point number two, the church's role. That's the parent's responsibility. What is the church's role in all of this? As we see children and parents running around the church, what is the church's role as these parents raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? What is the church to do? Two things that the church is to do as it relates to raising children. Number one, to evangelize the children. To evangelize the children. The church is commanded to evangelize the lost, right? Who is that? Their children. They need the gospel. Matthew 28, we see the great commission given to us as we're to go and make disciples and teach them God's commandments. That includes children. We must teach our children the gospel. Church, we must teach the children of Faith Bible Church the gospel. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have. That means our children. And we know this, right? You watch a child for a day, and you'll see their sin in there. Lots of sin in that heart of that child. And this means that children have sinned against God and they are in need of a Savior. Here at Faith Bible Church, we teach children the Word of God through Sunday school curriculum, Generations of Grace, and Wednesday nights in Adventure Club, teaching them systematic theology. And what are we doing as we're teaching them these doctrines, teaching them the truth of God's Word? We're telling them that they need to repent of their sin and believe in Christ to be saved. We evangelize them. I always say the largest evangelistic ministry in any church is its children's ministry. It's the largest evangelistic ministry. And here's the thing. They don't decide to come. They're brought there. And they're stuck in a classroom. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to tell them that they're sinners in need of a Savior. We're going to preach the gospel to them evangelistic ministry you don't even have to go out to go and do it you don't have to go stand on a street corner to do it just go serve in a classroom and evangelize the children of our church our job as a church is to point them to christ and to live out christ before them to be salt and light to them then number two second role in the church is to encourage parents not only do we evangelize the children, but we also encourage the parents. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're to equip the saints. We're to equip the parents and come alongside them as they raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And parents need this. Right, parents? You need this. We need the church, especially in the day and age that we're living in. Parents need faithful brothers and sisters who are going to come alongside them to love them and encourage them as they're raising their children in this world. You see, the enemy is after our children. The enemy is after our children, but parents need the encouragement from the church to raise them according to God's word. In fact, listen to Titus 2 and verse 3. It says this, Older women, that is older women in the church, likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. This is the context of the local church. If the older women in the church are to encourage the younger women in the church to love their husbands and to love their children. We as a church are to come alongside of parents in the church to love them 
and to encourage them with the responsibility that they have been given in bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so that is not only the responsibility of parents in raising children, but also the role of the church as parents in our church raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, grateful for the blessing that children are, the gift that they are. Lord, they are an inheritance from you. And Lord, we know that along with these children comes great responsibility. So Lord, we pray for the parents of our church that they would raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as they do that, I pray that you would help us as a church to come alongside them, to love them and encourage them to evangelize their children, to be salt and light, and to live Christ-honoring lives before the children of our church. Father, help us to be faithful in these responsibilities and these roles that we've been given. And Lord, we pray that you would give our parents wisdom and understanding And we pray that you would use the older men and women in our church to give wisdom to the younger men and women in our church, to the parents of our church as they raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, we pray again that you would save the children here at our church. That as an evangelistic ministry, we would proclaim the gospel faithfully to them. That they would understand that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And that they would repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, that you would grow them and raise them in maturity and understanding of your word. Lord, that you would do your work and accomplish your work in the lives of our children, in the lives of our parents, and in the lives of our church. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.